0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com um, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 5 to 7. And we're kind of in this place where we're dealing with some difficult uh, topics. Um, and I think Colossians, is, Colossians really has been difficult since the beginning, but uh, it's all in, a, in different ways. But man, I, I tell you, the more, I, I, the more I'm really diving into the book of Colossians, the more I really feel like Colossians is so timely. It, it really is dealing with things that we're struggling with in Christianity today. So Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be focusing in on verses 5 to 7. And this is part 1 of 5 to 7. We're going to do part 2 next week. But in a recent study that was conducted by ChristianMingle.com, it's a Christian Singles uh, site, uh, Christian Singles between the ages of 18 and 59 were asked the question, would you have sex before marriage? The response... 63% of the single Christian respondents said yes. Yeah, I can't believe they said yes. You understand 63%? If you got 10 Christian singles standing in a line, only a little bit less than four said no. That's a serious stat that we're faced with today. In response to this survey, Kenny Luck wrote, in my 30 years of youth and adult ministry, this is as unfiltered, direct, and honest as a question and answer can be. In practice, Christian adults and young adults have become sexual atheists. In other words, God has nothing to say to them on that subject of any consequence or at least anything meaningful enough to dissuade them from following their own course of conduct. It is the ultimate oxymoron. A person who at once believes in a wise, sovereign, and loving God who created them and all things can also believe simultaneously he should not cannot or will not inform their thinking or living as it pertains to sexuality. Absolutely amazing. Amazing to see this. This is what I often wonder when I think about things like this. Today, with so much technical advancement, with so much knowledge and progress that we have acquired, we still have this kind of thinking. We've advanced so far. We've accomplished so much. And we still think like this? We in the church can still do this? We in the church can do this and think that we're getting away with it? This is a real thing. It really does happen. Let me tell you this story. At one of the churches where I was an assistant pastor, there was a particular young man who was very critical, very critical of much that I did, Constantly complaining as to how things were done and whether the church and its practices were in line with the scriptures and in line with historic. Protestant theology, where we actually practicing what the Bible outlines, biblical frameworks when it comes to worship. And he was constantly harping on the church about it, emails, text messages, notes that he kept putting under the door and in the, in the, the suggestion box, and all of those things that we had just constantly just honest about this stuff and demanding that we at the church be pure in all that we do and that we are following biblical principles. But one day, the girl that he was dating scheduled a meeting with me so that she could discuss the relational problems that he and his girlfriend were having. It came out that they live lives of drugs, drunkenness, and sex. And when I talked to him about this very thing, he did not believe that the Bible prohibits sex or drunkenness, or drugs, or any of these things did not apply to him or anyone these days. Sexual atheism. It was amazing to me. Me and the other pastors were sitting there discussing this one day, like, wow, here's a guy, super hard, wants purity in the church, constantly giving me scriptures, just beating leadership down. And this whole time, he's he's like with his girlfriend and they're out partying, drinking, taking drugs and and having illicit sex at the same time and saw nothing wrong with it. How is it that we are able to do this? How is it that we are able to do this and still look at ourselves in the mirror? If you guys remember the movie, it was a while ago, it was a movie called Contact. It was with Jodie Foster and, and uh, Matthew McConaughey. She, she, was, she intercepted a message from space and you know she traveled to outer space, all this kind of stuff. But the one thing that... I don't think people notice that I thought was really interesting when I talked to people about this. They don't really even notice it, and it really didn't affect anybody in any way. But if you remember, Matthew McConaughey, who was her boyfriend, was a minister of God. And as a minister of God, they would go out on dates, and you would, the next scene would be the next morning with them, you know, putting their clothes on and having conversations and all this stuff. And it was just like, she asked him the question, like, you're a minister of God, why is it that we're having, you know, why is it that you're okay with fornicating? And he says, basically, I am a man of the cloth without the cloth. Now, (laughs) now again, when he said that, I got to admit, when he said that, I laughed because it was kind of funny. But the idea was, wait a minute, but is this okay then? I mean, is is society as a whole, are we acceptant even of this, not just of Christians who continue to fornicate, but ministers who fornicate, and we think that that's okay. The standard that we have when it comes to the idea of sex, sexuality, immorality, fornication, adultery, all of these, things—where where is the standard now? Is there even a standard anymore these days? Hmm. And it's not with just with sex. Well, I mean, why is it that we do this with many things? We are strict about certain things when it comes to the Bible, and then we find that we're really lax on stuff, especially lax on the vices that we struggle with. Many Christians will pick and choose. I, I know one, I, I, you know, I could even tell you his name, but I won't. <laughs> a Christian who will pick and choose which of the 10 commandments he will follow and which ones he won't. We don't, people, some, another individual came up to me once and said, hey, Shane, we don't have to obey all the laws of God. We just gotta obey the serious ones. This one was my favorite. I mean, this one actually kind of made me chuckle. We don't have to obey all the laws of God. We just gotta obey the serious ones. To which my question always is, when someone comes and says stuff like this to me, can you tell me which which ones are the serious ones? Oh, well, that's easy, Shane. It's, you know, it's the stuff. You know, it's like stealing. It's like killing. It's cheating on our taxes. It's watching X-rated movies. It's wearing a red blouse with a pink skirt. You know, all of those types of things. Some of the ladies, you guys are looking at me like, how do you know that? I just, that's my understanding. You don't wear a red blouse with a pink skirt. That that just, yeah, Connie agrees. Which is really interesting because many times when people say stuff, we don't have to obey all the laws. We just got to obey the serious ones. When you ask them what the serious ones are, it's not even the serious ones. If there is such a thing, right? Because when you think about the serious ones, I always go to the passage of scripture where the Bible tells us the sins and the things that the Lord detests. The six things that the Lord detests No, seven things that the Lord hates. And what's interesting about that is it's not even the ones that people think are serious today. It's haughty eyes. Pride. God detests you if you're prideful. Lying tongues. He detests lies. Um, the schemers, the feet that are quick to evil, the false witness, and those who cause division in communities. These are things the Lord hates. These are the serious ones. Is it that we just don't know? Or is it that we choose not to know? This is what I mean by we still do this. It's almost as if we think if we cover our eyes and we don't look at these laws, that it all of a sudden disappears. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. So this is why we stay away from preachers, those of you watching on TV or on YouTube right now. Why we stay away from preachers who speak the truth. Why we don't want to hear the truth. Why we stay away from these guys that, that are, you know, oh, these guys are so biblical. They're just trying to be biblical. You know, all they're doing is just causing despair in people. So we think that if we don't hear it, that we don't see it, therefore it doesn't exist. So I just don't want to hear it. I don't ever want to have to face the reality, the truth, so we just ignore it. I mean, why are, why are we so afraid of truth today? Why are we so afraid of what's biblical today? I mean, it, it's so bad I'm watching a video. I don't know if you guys know who Greg Laurie is. Uh, Not a Southern Baptist, but I think everyone kind of knows. He's still going to heaven. (laughs) Um, Greg Laurie was doing a video. I thought it was really interesting. And he was talking to a church. And when he was talking to the church, he was like, you know, I'm I'm sorry if this offends you. I'm sorry, I, I just have to say it. I know this is going to probably offend most of you. It's probably going to offend. And I know that this is really going to be hard for a lot of you. Are you guys ready? Prepare yourself for this. And then Greg Laurie said, Jesus is the only way. And it was like, okay, Greg, you are talking to a church And you are preparing the church to hear you say, Jesus is the only way. Are we that afraid and that offended by the truth in the church? I get the world. In the church family. Why are we so afraid of truth? So afraid of truth even in the place. That's supposed to be God's mouth house, the place where you're supposed to hear the truth. Why are we so afraid? Family, this is idolatry. This is idolatrous behavior when we do stuff like this. It's the unwillingness to rid ourselves of our idols. It's the unwillingness to be far from it. It's the unwillingness to put these things in our lives to death. If we as Christians are dead to the world, why will we not put to death the world that's in us? Man, isn't that amazing? Funny. We're dead to the world, but we keep the world alive inside of us? Wow. And let me tell you something, family. We've got to put these things to death in our lives. We've got to put it to death. We've got to kill it. These things that we do, the practices and things that we, that we see, even in the walls of the church, we've got to know something and hear me really loud and clear today, family. The judgment of God is coming. And it's coming for people who do stuff like this. And the, the word is telling us. It's because of behaviors like this that the anger of the Lord is coming. The Bible says that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, Shane, I hear you. Is there hope for us today? You bet there is. But let's check it out. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Do not be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that it continues to accomplish your purpose. May it never, ever return to you void. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the worldliness in us that we still need to mortify what we still need to kill? Right? So I love saying that when it comes to sanctification. What in our life do we still need to kill? And the second thing we're going to see is how it's these things in us that is provoking the anger of God. And we got to know he is coming to deal with it he's going to deal with it. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world entice us to keep alive the world in our hearts, it truly is the word of God and the power of the spirit that will cause us to see that Christ is more than anything the world is and what the world brings. It's so important that we see this. It's really important. How do we overcome these things in the world? The Bible makes it so clear. It's when we see Christ as more valuable than what the world is and what the world has to offer. You've got to see Christ as more valuable. Number one, mortify what is in you. The things we still need to kill. All right? That, that's, if you guys want you guys like rhymes and stuff like that and you guys want to sound, you know, cool when you're talking to people about God's word and all this stuff when it comes to sanctification you say yes, sanctification. What are the things that we still need to kill? All right, get that. So right here in this in this passage of scripture, we got something that should catch our attention's right away. We have a therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, boom, that got, it's got to, you got to keep that in your head because what we need to see in our passage today is what Paul is saying is as a result of the things that he had said before. So what Paul said before is that, number one, we are dead to this world. Number two, we are alive, but our new life is hidden in Christ, and one day it's going to be revealed in glory. So if we are to have a heavenly mindset We have got to get rid of things that pull you away from it. I love the way Dr. Doug Moo, he puts it this way. He says this. But this, putting to death of sin, is not only demanded by our incorporation into Christ, it is also empowered and affected by it. Union with Christ, because it puts us in a new relationship to sin, And brings us into the sphere of the Spirit's power will impact the way we live. Ultimately then, the imperative put to death in this verse must be viewed as a call to respond to and to cooperate with the transformative power that is already operative within us. So you see in this passage of Scripture, it's talking about sexual immorality. But why is this important and why is it that he brings about the union of Christ? Because, as you see throughout scripture, if there is one thing that we see in human life, especially when it comes to the marriage relationships, is a lot of things that happen within the marriage relationships, the boundaries that are set, is because the Lord is teaching us about his relationship to his church, and he's teaching us that through marriage, right? Because that's the great mystery, The mystery is marriage is there to teach us about God's relationship with his church. How a husband treats his wife is how Christ wants to treat the church. How the husband sees his wife is how Christ sees the church. He teaches us about the relationship. That's why I say that's, this is why marriage and the sake, the, the sacredness of marriage and why it's such a sacred institution and why it's so important because it's almost as if marriage is revelation. You know how we protect the Bible? Because the Bible teaches us, the Bible is the Word of God. This marriage is a tool that the world, the world, the, the Lord uses to teach us about His relationship with the church. So, if you want to know what the relationship with Him and the church is, you'll know when you look at marriages today. Ugh. This is why it's so important, why marriage is so important. And one of the things that happens within a marriage relationship is the consummating of the marriage where a husband unites with his wife. The picture that we see when it comes to union with Christ. That's why sexual sins are so bad. That's why sexual sins are so horrible because it's diminishing and it's absolutely destroying the image of what it is for us to be united with Christ. It doesn't, it's not seen as beautiful. It's just seen as just something gross, something disgusting, just something bad, because that's how you know, we see uh, sex anymore. I mean, it's so bad that, you, that people don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> You know, it's just I, I don't want to get up here and say, Oh man, I got this I got a sermon that I gotta to preach today, I gotta to talk about sex today. Oh, I don't wanna talk about it. But it's something beautiful, isn't it? Something amazing. Something that God gave to be shared between a husband and a wife. But that's how much it's gotten polluted in our culture today. We just don't even want to talk about it because we see it as disgusting, as bad. This idea that we have when it comes to putting to death the sins in our lives is beautifully illustrated in the words of Christ when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you uh, to, to lose your whole body or for, than for you to have your whole body thrown into hell. So I'm sure you guys have probably heard many, many sermons about this kind of stuff. If any of those sermons basically disagree or it, does, it says something against what I'm about to tell you right now, then it's wrong. Just FYI. This is what's really important about this passage of Scripture, and I think it gets glossed over a lot. Okay, Here's, here's the point. Number one, it's teaching us a couple, two things. Number one, it's showing us the seriousness of sin. This is the one that I think gets glossed over all the time. How serious is sin? Jesus is telling us how serious sin is. It's so serious that if a part of your body actually causes you to do this, you should cut it off. Oh, well, Shane, I don't think he means it. No, he means it. Jesus absolutely means it. You know, we try to we hear stuff of people, and ministers talking about this very issue. Like, you know, well, he didn't really mean it. He was just exaggerating. No, 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 he meant it. That's the seriousness of sin. It's so serious that if you do it and your hand causes you to do it, cut it off. It is better for you to walk into heaven maimed and disfigured than for you to be whole and fine and burn in hell for eternity. That's how serious it is. So number one, he's talking about it. It's so serious that extreme measures must be taken to rid yourself of sin. Sin must be cut off. Sin must be put to death. This is how serious it is. Better for you to lose an eye than for you to be condemned. But here it is. Jesus is also teaching us something else. Number two, point number two. Jesus is illustrating the frivolity of it, though. It's so serious that if it causes you to sin, you should cut it off. But let me tell you how frivolous it is. Because if you really actually do this, you're just gonna cut every single part of your body off. You will end up chopping every part of your body off why? Because it's not only sin is, these sins are not only serious, it's also pervasive. If you think COVID-19 spreads, man, sin spreads even more than sand. Family, I, I'm from Hawaii, okay? Many of you are from California. Some of you maybe from even California and you're around the beach and all this kind of stuff. Let me, let me tell you something about sand. I'm from Hawaii. You can go to the beach wearing an outfit like this, Shoes, pants, belt, shirt, tucked in, jacket, all this stuff. You wouldn't wear a jacket in Hawaii, but, but let's say you did. And you go to the beach. You go to the beach wearing all these clothes. You never go into the water. You never sit down on the beach. And you never even go for a stroll on the beach. But somehow, some way, that night, when you take a shower, there's sand in your belly button. just finds a way to get everywhere. This is how sin is. It just gets everywhere. And so to illustrate the point, to illustrate the point even more, sin comes from where. The heart. So if sin comes to the heart and your heart causes you to sin. What are you supposed to do? Cut it out. How are you going to cut your heart out and still be walking? You see the the frivolity of it? This is why this passage is so amazing. He's showing us just how serious sin is by making sure if this happens, you cut it off. But in the end, you're going to come to the place where you realize that sin is in the heart. This is why sin is death. This is why sin is destruction. This is why God says, when, if you do this, if you disobey me, you will surely die. Family, we have died in sin. Cut out your heart. See, here's the thing. Centuries, in centuries past in England, if a pickpocket, this isn't what they did in England, if a pickpocket was caught and he was convicted, they actually cut his right hand off. And there was this one story that they tell about this one guy. They cut his right hand off. This guy was caught again. And this time, his left hand was cut off. One pickpocket. He lost both hands and he continued his occupation with his teeth. What is this proving? It's proving that physical dismemberment can't change the heart. Because sin is in the heart. And that's what needs to be cut out. Put to death, as Paul uses it, means to discard evil practices. Here in Colossians, to get rid of the twin evils of sin and coveting. So this is the passage of Scripture. is talking about the reality and the seriousness of sexual sin and coveting. Two humongous topics that we've got to talk about today. I'm not going to be able to get to both of them. That's why we have to have a part two. The Bible calls us here at this moment, the Bible calls us here to kill the pornea in us. The Greek word porneia, where we get our word pornography. We've got to kill that in us. We've got to destroy that in us. We are to put to death all fornication and all sexual acts that are morally, morally objectionable in us. This includes... Sex outside of the marriage bed. Family, this is common. It's becoming more and more common today. When I talk with people, they just don't think that this is a bad thing anymore. That you can be a faithful Christian and still love God and still allow pornea to live in your life. I'm counseling this one lady right now uh, by phone, counseling this one lady about this issue. She, she says she's a Christian. She has faith. She believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And she is dating an, unbel- or, yeah, dating an unbeliever right now because she is, is liking the, the sexual activity that's happening between the two of them. I keep explaining to her how can you do this and continue to live in unrepentant sin and still say that Jesus is Lord of your life? How can you do that? How can you say that? How can you serve two masters? You can't. It's the deception. And she thinks she's fine. It's the deception. And, and, she, and she just finally comes right out and, and just starts yelling at me and talking about how I'm a, a moral bigot and I'm a legalist and I'm a Pharisee and you're just out of touch with the real world that's fair. I'm not going to deny any of those things that you said. <laughs> I remember one guy even told me, hey, Shane, stop being puritanical and get with the times. All right? What we need to do is need to make love, not blog posts condemning unhindered sex. <laughs> I remember when he said that to me, I said, did you just call me Puritan? Did you just call me a Puritan? If you guys know me, you guys know have known me now for six years. That's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, that didn't affect me at all. We are also called to put to death a carthesia. Akarth, I can't even get this word out. We are called to put to death a carthesia. Purity. The death of non-carthesis. A impurity. It describes any kind of moral corruption. Moral corruption of any kind. And it's normally used for sexual impurity, but it accounts for even more. Dr. Kent Hughes writes, this is wider and subtler than physical immorality for it embraces the lurid imagination, it talks about speech, and deed of sexual heart or a filthy mind. Man. Man. That's like almost describing our culture today. We're also called to put to death pathos, where we get passions. Better yet, some of your translations will say lust. Oh man, lust. Society today, lust. We are called to put to death lust, passions, passions that we have for morally objectionable sexual acts. The commentator wrote, the shameful emotion which leads to sexual excesses. This is a very serious thing. Why is lust serious? Paul Tripp, he writes this, a man is walking home from work and lusting after a woman approaching him on the sidewalk. He slows down his walk to get a longer look and he turns around and watches as she passes Think with me again about the godlike posture of this man. First, he is treating this moment as if it belongs to him. Wow, th- this is huge. Listen to what Paul Tripp is saying here. When we lust, okay, this is men and women. When when we lust, we are treating this moment as if it belongs to us. We're saying this moment is mine, mine to do what I want to do. He goes on to say, as if he is sovereign and she is on the sidewalk according to his will and she is there for his own pleasure. He's the self-appointed deity of the moment. The world has strunk to the size of his desire and he rules it for his pleasure. He will have what he will have, even if it's the only if even if it's only the the right to stare at the body parts and imagine having them for his pleasure. But there is more. For that moment he is stealing God's creation and taking it as his own. He has no right to this woman. She does not belong to him in any way. But he takes her with his mind and his eyes. He's ripped this woman out of the hands of God and claimed her as his own for whatever momentary pleasure he can achieve. He has denied God's existence. He has set himself up as God. Oh huge family, huge. Sometimes I feel like in our culture today that we don't treat lust as if it's that big of a deal. Now, you know, if we're Christians, you know, we're always just like, oh, you just don't want to do lust. You just don't want to lust. You just want to stay away from lust. But we don't really see the gravity of it. There is a seriousness to this. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, when you look lustfully upon a woman, you have committed adultery. Lust is serious. It's a serious, serious thing. I remember, and, and, and it's pervasive today. It's pervasive in our culture today. Um, I, I'll tell you this story. Um, I remember going through this book uh, called Every Man's Battle. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it. It's, it's okay. Let me, let me just be honest. I'll give you my book review. It's, an, it's okay. It's an okay book. It, it has helped some, but for the majority, it doesn't really help a lot because we're, we're losing the idea of how you get out of sexual struggle. You know, because every man battle, it gives you all these principles as things that you can do in order to stop doing it. But in a lot of ways, what ends up happening is you cage up a lion is all it is. And then what happens when the lion gets out of the cage? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's there's a bounce back effect. But one of the things that they teach you in the every man's battle, which I think there's some things in there that's helpful, is they teach you how to bounce your eyes. So guys. Ladies, if you see something that's going to that's going to cause you to lust, you bounce your eyes. So, boom, you look, bounce your eyes, look, bounce. Oh, you know, I still do this today. You know, like you know, when you're at the beach in Hawaii, you bounce your eyes all the time. Matter of fact, I I get so tired of bouncing my eyes on the beach in Hawaii, I just take off my glasses. You know, I can't see nothing. Like right now, I can't see nothing. All you guys are, are just shapes. Not even shapes, just just blur. That's just what I do. It's just so, it's just so bad. But anyway, you see something, you bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes, bounce your eyes. One day I decided that I was going to count how many times I actually had to bounce my eyes. So I got into my car and I'm driving to work. It's a 15 minute drive from my house to the church that I was, I was, uh, this was, this was actually here in Denver is when I was working at Calvary temple. Okay. So I lived about 15 minutes away from Calvary temple. Um, got into my car, driving to Calvary Temple. 15-minute drive to the church. I had to bounce my eyes over 150 times. Just driving and just just bouncing the eyes. Billboards, things that you would see. Just driving by stores. You know, store that's selling ice cream and there's a lady in a bikini. I mean, why? (laughs) Why, right? So just, boom. Over 150 times on a 15-minute drive. Family, it's all over the place. We have got to make sure that we get our our hands on this, and we've got to make sure that we're treating it and, and giving it its due. Images that stir arousal motivates us to sensuality. And one of the things that we see in our culture today is motivation for sensuality is a very, very powerful motivation. It's a very powerful motivator. It's super powerful. You know? I tell people all the time, do you want to know, I got a biblical example as to how powerful sexual motivation is. Did you know that in Old Testament times, in the Judaic laws in the Old Testament, Judaism, um, when they were a nat- the nation of Israel, if you were caught committing adultery or fornicating, do you guys remember what the penalty was? It was death. They didn't just slap you on the hand, oh, I'll do better next time. No, no, no. If you were caught committing adultery, you were put to Death. The penalty of having sex outside of, the penalty for sexual immorality was death and people were still doing it. That's how powerful this is. It's so powerful that people are willing to give up their lives for it. Wow, is that amazing? People are willing to give up their lives for it. That's how powerful it is. We are to put to death epimethia, which is an inordinate self-indulging craving. It's the desire to fulfill the evil appetites of the flesh, the desire to fulfill our desire and wants and not practice restraint. This is the way of our world today. Don't stop yourself from doing what will make you happy. If it's going to make you happy, then do it. It's what the world tells us. Fulfill your desires, fulfill anything that you want to do. Just do it, do it, do it. This is a horrible, horrible thing. This is horrible things in us that Paul is saying that we don't let it linger, we don't restrain it, we don't try to suppress it. He tells us to do what? To kill it. Christian today, we are to kill these things inside of us. This is a horrible, horrible thing and should result in cutting off the source. And so individuals will say, you know, well, I just, uh, you know, Shane, I know we're supposed to kill this, but this is just the way that I'm living. This is just the way how things are and all this type of stuff. This is just important to me. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not going to kill it. And I've always referred to, I've always said to these individuals, man, when you say things like that, it's just showing me just how little your faith is. Oh, no, 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 you don't know what I'm talking about. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus is Savior. I said, yeah, you say that, but you're not willing to put these things to death. No, 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 that's not, you're just misunderstanding what it is. I'm just not going to kill that, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that I don't have faith. All I do is remind them, Abraham was a man who had faith. And we're not just talking about lust that Abraham had, sensuality that he had. He was willing to put his son to death. He was going to kill Isaac. Men and women that believe that Jesus is Lord will put these things to death. Not only these things, but willing to put their own kids to death for him. Do you see that? See the seriousness? This is what I am saying. Don't tell me and don't talk to me about faith when we're not willing to put these things to death. Family, this is serious. We cannot lie to ourselves anymore. In our cultural context, we have fallen into the acceptance of this behavior. We struggle with putting these things to death because we still don't want to be dead to the world. And the world continues to entice us with sex and sensuality. And we keep falling for it. It's also so bad that we feel that we just can't overcome it. So the church feels like we can't defeat it. It's everywhere, Shane. It's not going to go away, Shane. So we in the church have come to the place where we just don't, we no longer fight it. We just try to figure out a way to accept it. And what did the church do today? We twist scripture to make it not condemn sexual sin anymore, we just stop looking at scripture. We just ignore it. We can't beat it, so we resign ourselves to join it. And we have discovered in the church, in the church now, that sex sells. What? Sex sells. What? Even in the church. Did you know that when I was in the the, when I was younger, I was in a, a Christian rock band. And I was talking to, uh, I won't say the name of the Christian label, but it was one of the big four Christian record labels. And I was talking to one of the a and directors there. And he says that they are always looking for female Christian singers who young Christian boys will lust after. And those are the women that we will sign to our record label. Shane, it's the music business. And I was, I was horrified. I kid you not, if I'd have known jujitsu, I'd have choked him out at that moment. <laughs> All I wanted to do was punch him in the face because I could not believe he was doing that. That record labels are actually looking for women to cause young men of God to stumble so they can sell CDs. This is horrible what's happening in the Christian world when when it comes to these kinds of things. Did you know, I got this from a source from a woman who came to my church because the the mega church that she was at, they passed a new rule. Do you know the mega, the mega church that this, I'll just let you know? This was when I was pastoring in Hawaii. She came to my church because, and she, she joined the worship team. She wanted to sing on the worship team. She was on the worship team at this church, and the reason why she left that church is because the worship leader had come in the week before and told them that they want all the women on the worship team to start to dress to impress. Oh. Well, is he saying, he just want you to dress nice? She said, no. He said, anything that will get people to see your figure. Worship teams. Now, in churches, encouraging women to dress, to appeal. One of my friends, uh, another man who came to my church, became a good friend of mine. He said that there was a church. He said it was down to our church. I don't know if you remember this story. He says it was down to our church and another church. And he goes, and so we were going to this church and um, he says, then he found out that the worship leader at the church wasn't really the worship leader. He was just a backup worship leader. And that Sunday when they went to visit, the worship leader, the full-time worship leader showed up and he said, she came out with a short mini skirt on and she barely was covered up at the top and she grabbed the microphone and was like, are you ready to worship the Lord this morning? And started leading the congregation into worship. He said the whole time he was there, he couldn't look at the stage because he just couldn't do it without feeling like he was going to lust And he's like, and she's singing praises to God. And I'm supposed to be singing praises to God, but all I'm thinking about is her legs. (laughs) Family, the church has figured out that sex sells. And they're using it. I'm not making this stuff up, family. This is happening in the world today. This is what they're doing. Sex motivates Did you know that there's a popular pastor in California? He's actually passed away now. I I hate to see what that that conversation with Jesus was like. But a popular pastor in California, he built his huge church. He had a huge church. And the story got out as to how he did it. Do you know how he built his church? He's in California. He went to Los Angeles to the strip. He hired strippers to come sit in the front row of his church. And he had TV cameras panning the front of the church while he was preaching. Within a month, he was over a thousand people. Family. He got the message sex sells. Huge church now, gigantic. That's how they started. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you there's people, I'm sure none but none is thinking, but people that are watching this is going, man, yeah, if Central Baptist Church, you guys did that, I'd come over there. Yeah, I know you would. (laughs) Because sex sells. Dr. Hughes, he writes this. Personally, I can think of no other array of sins more prominent in our society and more in need of being put away. Daily living subjects the average American to a sea of sensuality. He says it's conceivable that on a given evening of TV watching, one person may see more sensual sights than one's grandparents did in their entire lifetime. The magazine ads for certain brands of blue jeans defy defy adequate description and polite company. And inspired TV ads for perfume promote a mystical eroticism. He said, in January of 1984, an issue of Psychology Today, a magazine not known for promoting biblical concern, stated that a pervasive cultural desensitization has taken place through films which feature sexual violence and and suggested that films be packaged with warning labels like cigarettes. That films today should be packaged with warning labels now. And remember how I've been talking about our culture's incessant problem of self-deception, and especially when it comes to sex and sexuality. Christians will, this is the thing that blows me away, family. Christians, Christians now, people who profess to be Christians will recommend to me TV shows that are loaded with sex scenes and sex sensuality, and you know what? After I'm like, okay, I'll watch the show because they said that it's a good show. I watch it. The very first show I'm watching within the first five minutes, I'm like, oh! <laughs> Just like, why would, he, why would she recommend this show to me? And I'm watching, and then I call her up. I said, is this the show that you're recommending? Yeah, yeah, this is the show. Are you sure it's the show? This is the, this is the show. Yeah, this is the show. The first five minutes when I'm watching this stuff, there was this scene. Oh, yeah, 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 that's the show. And when I ask them about it, they just say that number one, they don't even remember it. But actually in a lot of ways, when I talk with them, they just sound like they don't care. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a pastor. Yeah, you care about all that sex stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, then no big deal. Yeah, I, I know I'm a pastor. I don't care about that kind of sex stuff, but you're a professing Christian. Shouldn't you? Or are, are you okay with this? no apologies that's the other thing too i was curious like is there a, gonna be a sorry like oh yeah pastor shane i'm sorry i shouldn't have recommended that to you any embarrassment like oh yeah that's right oh gosh that's oh that yeah that's horrible oh man either we've become so desensitized to sexuality and sensuality or we just don't see it as a problem anymore It's no big deal, no worries. What's the point of living life if I can't really live it, Jane? To deny one's impulses is to deny what really makes us human. Ask why, don't ask why. Do what you want, you deserve it. Christians will say stuff like this to me. (laughs) None of these quotes come from the Bible. But let me tell you what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter six, verse 27. Proverbs six, verse 27. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? We are heaping coals into our laps every single day. And we are being burned whether we know it or not. Family, we are playing with fire with this thing today. We think that we are okay when we do this kind of stuff. We think that there's not going to be consequences to our actions when it comes to sexual immorality or sensuality. Do not be deceived. Hear me today. Here's some truth for us today. The anger of God is coming. Family, it is coming. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I told you this was serious. I told you this was serious. And we are being warned in the scriptures here. We're being warned. He's warning us. He's letting us know right now in his word. Family, in your hearing today, he is warning us. All of these things that I am telling you to put to death I'm letting you know that God is coming and God is coming to deal with this. One day he's coming, one day he's gonna deal with this. This is not a novel thing in scripture family. It's not just pops up here one time here in the book of Colossians. In Romans chapter two, verse five, Romans chapter two, verse five, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Ephesians chapter five, verse six, Ephesians five, six, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall upon all who disobey Him. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11, God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. Luke chapter 12, verse 5, Luke 12, 5, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only a terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, The Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is not me, this is God's word. And he is warning us today that judgment is coming. This is a problem. This is a huge problem that our society seems to be ignoring. We're not hearing this from pulpits anymore. Family, I turn on Christian radio, you know, or to stream these Christian stations and all this stuff to listen to preachers. You know, I just, I remember like going days and going, you know what, I've listened to Christian radio all day for an entire week and not one mentioned the wrath of God that's coming, not one. This is a huge problem and our society and the church is seeming to ignore this issue. Even popular Bible teachers, I can give you names of the books that they have written that are actually teaching people that the coming judgment of God is actually a myth and just an illusion. They're actually telling us and teaching us that God's not coming to judge. He said it. Family and many just don't believe it. Many false teachers and false prophets said like they're saying today. Did you know back then that when Babylon was coming and God was warning them, the prophets were warning people that judgment was coming? And the false prophets came and said, you know what, there's not going to be any judgment. Come on, peace, peace. When there was no peace. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, come on. We're not God, God loves us, God loves us. He's going to defend us, all this stuff. We're in the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord will defend us. And what happened? God came, God judged And they were destroyed. He's not messing around, family. He is not messing around. This is the Israelites with this much revelation and this much warning. Family, God's judgment is coming. And right now, today, we've got this much revelation and we've got this much warning. Man, if you think that we today have any more of an excuse than the Israelites had been, we are, than they had then, we are strongly mistaken. Judgment came, it was huge and it was devastating. And it's the same for us today, family. Judgment is coming, and our Lord and King is coming, and He is coming with fire in His eyes. He is coming in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 to 16. In Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named faithful and true, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns, a name written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was on, was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming. Judgment is coming. And family, many of us would say, hey, Shane, you know what? Today, man, I'm I'm okay though. Hey, you might be okay. What about your family? What about your friends? What about your neighbor? What about all of these people in this world that are walking around that don't believe that the judgment of God is coming? Oh well. Man, how would you feel? <laughs> All this kind of a thing with you know a quote, but how would you feel if you had a disease? Your doctor knew there was a cure. But instead of telling you about the cure, he just gave you a high five and says, Man, have a nice day. And you walked out with the disease. Believing that any moment you were going to die. But the whole time there was a cure. Maybe time to find a new doctor. What kind of a friend would we be? What kind of a Christian would we be? If we didn't say anything. Is there a cure? Shane, you talk about this judgment of God that's coming. Is there hope for me? Can I be saved from this? You absolutely can. There is a disease, yes, but I'm letting you know that there is a cure. There is reason for us to rejoice today. There's reason for us to be hope to, to have hope today. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans 5, 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Salvation is here, family. You know why salvation is here? Because Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By his wounds we are healed. There's salvation for us today. And the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And we have the power of Christ to overcome the lusts of the flesh. By the power of the Holy Spirit, family, we are dead to sin. We are alive to Christ. It's the desire for Christ that will give us victory over sin. Family, we will be free today when we love Christ more than the world. I told you guys about my, the little time that I, that I used with the, you know, the every man's battle thing and you know we were doing all of this stuff. It was this one uh, sermon that I heard uh, by a, a theologian by the name of D.A. Carson, I, one of my favorite theologians. If you can read anything by D.A. Carson, you read whatever D.A. Carson has to write he said something that's really important. And he used this principle for men who were struggling with pornography. And, but I feel like this is a, a way that we struggle or we can be free from any addiction. Any addictions or anything that we're struggling with today, he gave us the key. Here's the key as to how you can be free of this. So women, even if, if you're addicted to shopping, or if you're addicted to sitting in front of the TV all day eating bonbons. I know that's none of you. Whatever the addiction is, even if it's, it's money, success, all these things, whatever our addictions is, this is a principle that we got to get, and this is how you will truly be made free. Are you guys ready for it? I don't know. None of, you guys don't look like you're really ready for it. This is life changing. He said this, all of these things in our lives, it's idolatry, really is what it is. So he said this, you worshiped your way into it. You gotta worship your way out. What does he mean by that? He means that you will run away from your addiction when Christ is so beautiful to you that he's the only thing that you want. It's that. I don't want to do this anymore because Christ is so much more. Christ is so much better. When we get to that place, family, that's when we can truly break free. It's not a method. It's not a model. It's not a book that you need. It's just seeing Christ as being worth more. We sing about it. Do you really believe that Christ is more precious than gold? Is he more precious than silver? Is he more beautiful than diamonds? Well, if he is, just the thought of the grace of our Lord will rip you out of any addiction, any stranglehold, any chains or bonds that you would have on your life. Christ will set us free. Jesus will set us free. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.